Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to watchnebula.com slash not overthinking with a little hyphen thing in between the not and the overthinking. So watchnebula.com slash not dash overthinking. Through Nebula, you'll firstly get access to all of our podcast episodes ad-free. Secondly, you'll see exclusive content from me and a load of other educational-ish creators. And thirdly, it directly supports this podcast. So you'll incentivize me and Tame to record more episodes. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Not Overthinking. How are you doing this week, Ali? Oh, I'm doing absolutely fantastic. I've had a, a cold slash cough thing for the last few days, so my voice sounds about two octaves lower than it normally should be. But other than that, doing all right. How so, are you? So manly. So manly. Yeah, I, yeah I've, manly. Uh, I've fallen quite ill in the past couple of days. I don't know if it's like hay fever or um, a cold or whatever, but yeah, my throat feels like it's on fire. Have you been taking enough paracetamol? I've been, I took uh, I popped a couple of pills this morning, took some ibuprofen and some antihistamines. Damn, ibuprofen mm. as well? Yeah. Why do, why do you take the ibuprofen? <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't that help with like a sore throat? Yeah, yeah fair enough. I've, uh, <laughs> I, don't I don't ask too many questions when it comes to these things. Awesome. How's your uh, whole, st- whole startup vibe going? Uh, startup vibe is going well. This week, we've mostly been working on the product, which is nice. We didn't have too many meetings. Yeah, we're sort of hoping to have a very initial prototype done in a few weeks. Yeah, I, I'm not getting as much sleep as I would have liked because often if I have a call with my co-founder, he's based in the US right now. And so we, we have to do calls at like either midnight or 8 a.m. or as we had in the past day. We had a call at midnight last night and at 8 a.m. this morning. So I barely got any sleep last night. Um, but, you know, he's moving to London in a few weeks, so it should be all good soon. Calls with your co-founder. Wow, that sounds so pretentious. Does it? Oh, okay. <laughs> but no, it's fine. It's fine. We all appreciate the hustle. Thank you. So what do you want to talk about this week? So something I've been thinking about recently, actually maybe in the past couple of years in general, but more specifically in the past week, is that I really, I really don't know how to read books. How to read? I don't know how to read. And I'm trying to, I, I feel like I've really missed out because... You know, whenever I'm listening to a podcast about some like person who's quite successful or whatever, they always say that like, you know, my secret is that I've just learned from all of these books and like, you know, these books have changed my life. And like, you know, if it wasn't for this book, I wouldn't have done this. Uh, and you say this kind of stuff as well, that like the four hour work week, you know, changed my life. And like, it seems like all these other people are getting all this value out of books. And I just, I'm not getting any of it. And I've never really gotten any of it. Okay. And so I, I really need to figure this out if I, uh, yeah, if I'm to... to to spend the next few decades of my life productively. Okay. Why do you think that is? Why do you feel like you don't get any value out of reading? Because I imagine a lot of people are in a similar boat to you whereby they have a book on the nightstand and it takes them five years to get through Sapiens because everyone's reading it. Why do you think you don't read as much as other quote successful people? Okay, I'll start by like basically telling you the books that I have managed to finish. So I, when I was about 16, 17, I remember I got through the whole Twilight series. That was amazing. Uh, I actually, I remember that like it, it sort of gave me this feeling of wanting to like, I have a child. <laughs> I wanted to like, you know, the, the Twilight series gave you a feeling of wanting to have a child. Yeah, I wanted to like you know, rear a child <laughs> after reading that. <laughs> Which bit of the Twilight series made you want to rear a child? I, I think, I, I can't remember the details, but I think it was like the relationship between Bella's kid and like Bella. Okay. And I was like, oh man, I felt like the pang of... <laughs> the pang of lack of children. <laughs> yes, exactly. For the record, the relationship between Bella's child and Bella... Is it really bad? I mean, it's, it's, it's not really bad. It's just that this child, you know, grows up very very quickly and therefore misses out on the 
the annoying toddler stages of life. Oh yeah, that in yeah, about yeah. in about two weeks, and then becomes all fun and games and chats to people and stuff. Yeah, that's probably right. I I I, I recognize I don't actually want a kid right now. <laughs> Not right now, okay. Damn. So I got through the Twilight series. I read the last, the final two Harry Potter books, and basically since then I've never really managed to finish a book. I, the most recent book I've actually finished was The Courage to Be Disliked, which I recommend it to you. You did. Um, I actually got through that quite well. Um, but I've, I've, I've been trying to read, you know, at, at least every two or three weeks, there's some new book that I'm trying to read that I eventually give up on. Um, okay, l- let's examine this a bit more. Um, I absolutely love the Twilight series as well. Uh, why why did you get through the Twilight series when you have been unable to get through almost like any other series since or before then? I mean, I guess I haven't really tried. I haven't really tried much young adult fiction apart from Twilight and the last two Harry oh, Potter mate, books. Missing out. <laughs> um, and now I tried to I tried to read, you know, in inverted commas, real fiction, you know, like Pulitzer Prize winning fiction stuff. I tried to do that recently. I, I just couldn't get into it. And then I thought, okay, no, maybe that's a bit too much for me right now. I'm still like a baby when it comes to reading. Let's start with something that like everyone reads at school. Let's start with Lord of the Flies. And I started reading Lord of the Flies and it was okay, but like, I didn't want to pick it up every time I read it. I kind of had to force myself like, oh, I should like read this book. So there's a parallel here to the way that you approach watching films, i.e. at least back in the day when we used to routinely watch movies as a thing and people would come over and be like, oh, what film should we watch with these guys? You would tend to have a very strong bias towards recent things. You would you would never think, oh, you know, let's why don't we watch one of the uh, Oscar award winning films from 1980? You would just never think that. Yeah. Because you just know that a film that has 2018 or 2017 in the brackets, is it's, it's just going to be better. Like, it's going to be more enjoyable. It's going to be I think that, no, more fun to watch. <laughs> I, I think you'll make a strong claim. I, I, I used to be, and I still am more into recent films, because I, I think it's more relatable when it's set in, like, the modern day, basically. So it's a setting of the film as opposed to the year of production. Because there are a lot of films made in the modern day that are set in olden times that you'd be quite happy to watch. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Okay. As I in, just guess it's the vibes. The point I'm making is that for someone who has only ever read Twilight, and not even read Harry Potter, you probably don't want to be jumping in with Lord of the Flies because although it's a standard, quote, good book, it's still from that generation of it's 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 still a classic and classics are still hard to read in inverted commas. Okay. Whereas if you go for something nice like young adult fiction or paranormal romance or just read the rest of the Harry Potter books, you know, for God's sake, that would be a good gateway drug into actually starting to read properly. That m- that might be a good idea. Um, I, I guess I'm I'm sort of I'm looking to get like lasting value out of these books. I, I'm, so I'm not really looking for. I mean, I hope I'm not trivializing uh, the esteemed young adult fiction genre here, but I'm I'm not looking for a fun kind of thing, <laughs> a cheap thrill. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not looking for a cheap thrill. Uh, I'm try I'm looking for something that will sort of stay with me and have like lasting impact on my life. And so it seems like you know the time tested age old in inverted commas, good books are that kind of thing. Um, but maybe you're right that I sort of, I should ease into them anyway with cheap thrills just to get into the, like the mechanical habit of opening a book or opening my Kindle and looking at words on a page and not getting bored. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think what a lot of very modern books have more so than the books back in the day used to is that they're very good at holding your attention. So these days when I read a book, it comes less. So for example, I recently read Bad Blood, uh, that book about Theranos. Theranos? Theranos. 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 Um, which was absolutely incredible and but and really really held 
held my attention. Like I wanted to find out what would happen on every page. Whereas something like Lord of the Flies and something like Of Mice and Men, yeah, they're good. And I can see why they're classics, but they don't hold your attention as as well as these modern modern books do. So that's what I would suggest for you. Start with something modern. Start with Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, for God's sake. And then you can ease yourself into, for example, I don't know, uh, David Copperfield or whatever else, <laughs> highbrow <laughs> fiction you want, to, you want to end up reading. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, yeah, I think w- when it comes to fiction, that that probably makes sense. So wh- why did you, why were you able to get through The Courage to be Disliked? And can you just give us a quick summary of, of what it was about? Uh, so The Courage to be Disliked, like is uh i guess it's about a particular philosophy or psychological theory um by a psychologist called mortimer adler is that it uh something like that um and it's so it's it's kind of uh very accessible philosophy psychology kind of stuff um and so we're, we're moving into non-fiction now which i think is like a different kind of category um but I, th- I think the reason i really liked the courage to be disliked was that there were like new insights almost right from the start right from the start it said things that was like whoa hold on hold on a second <laughs> are you really saying this um and so it, it kind of uh forced me to think in a different way right from the start and it was introducing like loads of novel stuff and this entirely new way of like looking at things and, and i think that's why i loved it whereas in the other non-fiction that i've read i often feel like uh okay so i i typically try and read the kind of non-fiction around my interests so for example um a while ago i tried to read a book called the design of everyday things which is like the modern bible when it comes to design um every like you know pretentious designer type has read it um and i want to be like that uh but i found that and actually more recently this week i've been trying to read a book called talk which is about uh the science of conversation and conversation analysis oh hello um which is like the kind of thing yeah both design and this like conversation stuff is the kind of thing i've just been sort of thinking about on my own and kind of like really enjoy uh thinking about i suppose and i in both times i thought okay i've done all this thinking on my own i'm sure there's a body of work that other humans have produced about this thing i should like tap into that to take my thinking to the next level and then build upon the body of work rather than staying in my little cave having my own like little theories about design and conversation and so on um and i think the problem i run into is that with design for example i'd been sort of very interested in it and been like doing it and thinking about it and stuff for many many years before i picked up my first design book the design of everyday things um and so i think my level of like intuition was reasonably high um and again same with like i i I don't mean this to sound like a brag or whatever it's really not the same with like the conversation type stuff this is something i think about quite a lot for quite some time and so i feel like my starting level of intuition is relatively high going into these things and when you're reading a non-fiction book which is kind of like theory around something uh at the start it's a lot of like groundwork in like setting up the theory and so there's not really like novel stuff very early on and so yeah i felt like with both books a lot of the start of it was like stuff that i already knew or stuff i was already thinking and i was like oh this is just really obvious like why is this book telling me about this thing that i already know about or have thought about um and so i i kind of got bored of those books because it seemed like i had to get through so much groundwork of like uh you know them building up the start of this theory which didn't have much novelty in it didn't have many insights for me that i never i got bored before i got to like the age five (laughs) yeah okay so your thing is that you want to be entertained and you want to have novel insights from a non-fiction book from the introduction from the from the forward onwards well, you want to you want to have something that you can take away some kind of life hack you know if you like that you can you can apply is that what you're saying I, yeah just like yeah just new insight kind of stuff okay so the way i would approach this is that, is that i would recognize that there are almost no novel insights to be found anywhere and very occasionally if i'm reading a book i will have a truly novel insight and i'll be like oh my god this is incredible 
Um, and then I would put like just just having one novel insight in a single book would make me put that book on my list of books that changed my life thing. Wow. All I care about is just having one novel insight. And I'm more than happy to wade through 400 pages of crap, but not crap, but, you know, you, you know, stuff that that I find personally obvious these days. Yeah. To find one paragraph or one highlight. That's something that I'm, I, I think I can return to later. So when I'm reading a book, I'm reading with the intention to highlight. And if there is stuff. So, for example, I'm, if if there is stuff that is already obvious to me, I'll just skip through it. And the nice thing about Kindle, you can just flick and you can just kind of cast your eyes over the over the text and kind of scan it and see that, yep, yep, I know all the stuff, I know all the stuff. Recently started reading Simon Simic's Wait Worse, now Start With Why or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that sounds like something he'd write. That, that's his whole, like, that's his whole philosophy. And I was expecting some kind of novel insight, but actually it was like just like a bog standard business book talking about, you know, how the best leaders are the ones who inspire some kind of, you know, whatever. And I was like, okay, cool, skip, 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 skip. And I've yet to come to a part of the book where it's particularly novel insight but it's fine I'm just scanning through the book and it takes maybe half an hour to scan through an entire book and if you realize there's nothing novel in it that's fine you can leave it so with something like this talking book that you're clearly experienced in thinking and opining about the art of conversation maybe you won't find anything novel in that I had a similar experience um, a few months ago when I started reading a book called The Charisma Myth, which was all about how people can develop charisma even if they don't have it already. And it was just full of really, really obvious stuff. But then again, um, I first started reading about charisma in like 2012 when I read Charisma on Command, which was at the time a very non-mainstream book. It was written by a guy who was giving like dating advice. And therefore it had it had sort of tips and sort of charisma and life hacks that were genuinely novel and useful to me at the time. So I think firstly, if you're reading, you, you know, but especially like a, I don't know, a, ma a mainstream book about conversation is unlikely to contain the sorts of very novel insights that you want, I want to say. Uh, I think that's slightly hard. This is like, a, it's not that mainstream. It's, it's more of like a scientific kind of book. Like conversation analysis is, is actually a field, it turns out. They have the whole like, they have their own notation for like transcribing conversations. So you can see all the like nonverbal cues and everything. Oh. So it's, it's, it seems like quite an interesting field and it's, it's not super mainstream. Okay, cool. I'm going to read this book. Have you got it on Kindle? Yeah. Sick. So what you're saying is that like, maybe I'm just going in with the wrong expectations that like, I'm expecting every, every nonfiction book to be like, you know, like the life advice articles I read when I was 15 and then be became disillusioned by it, or like the courage to be disliked where every, every new chapter was like, oh my God, this is like novel and interesting. So yeah. as yeah, it's, I think that's a, I think that's a very unfair expectation to have of nonfiction books because there, you know, there's only so much novel advice you can get. And given that you read a lot of blogs and tweets and things, those tend to be summations of what books are telling you. So you could read a whole book talking about, I don't know, some various productivity principles, for example, but because you've seen some random person's tweet about it where he summarized it in three points, you're like, oh, this is not novel. I've seen this before already. Yeah, I think that's actually that's actually a really good point because I'm like, I'm constantly reading stuff online. It's just not in book form. And so a lot of like the ideas and the models that I think the books end up talking about are the stuff that people are also talking about online in much shorter form. Um, so yeah, I, I think expectations is a good one. This this uh, this thing about expectations has come up when I've chatted to, to people about other things like trying to appreciate art galleries and stuff. And I think um, I used to kind of feel like, oh man, I, I don't really get art galleries. I still don't really get art, art galleries. But I think I, I used to think I really don't get them because like, um, you know, I don't get most of the paintings. And like yeah. one of my more artsy friends was like, you know, you're not meant to get most of the paintings. Like I think it's a successful 
visit or like uh, I'm pretty happy when you know one or two pieces out of a hundred really speaks to me in a in a ga- gallery or something. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I like okay. your, I like your thing. <laughs> I like your thing about having like you're just trying to get like one really killer highlight that will stick with you, and that being almost like the goal of reading a nonfiction thing. Yeah, I think also one thing that I've I've I started to do a couple of years ago is that uh, sort of this the, this thing about reading with the intent to highlight because I found that the more I've read and the more I've got sort of highlights on Kindle that I then look back on on a semi regular basis, the more fodder I have in my brain to be able to call upon when I'm asked a particular kind of question. So for example, a few a few months ago, I was interviewed on some medical students podcast about, you know, life as a doctor and things. Humble brag. Uh, humble brag, exactly. Uh, but almost for, for, all, for all the questions that he was asking, there were things that people would genuinely, genuinely want to know the answer to, you know, stuff about, you know, the standard time management motivation, what life as a doctor is like, how you think about your job, all, all these various things. And I just realized that I, I'd, I'd quoted about 10 different books in that particular podcast just because I'd remember to highlight, be like, oh, you know, in Ryan Holiday's um, Ego is the Enemy, he talks about this exact concept that you're struggling with right now. And he says, blah, 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 blah. And this guy was like, oh my God, this is amazing. How do you know, so, how do you have so much knowledge? And I was like, oh, I mean, I just, I just kind of read. <laughs> and I read for half an hour in, in, in bed each day before going to sleep and I highlight stuff and I look back at my highlights occasionally. Yeah. So I think reading with the intent to highlight, uh, although highlighting is obviously not good for, for studying, I think that's a better way of going about it. And in fact, I think there is a parallel to be drawn with reading a nonfiction book as for example reading a medical textbook or a medical revision guide or you know any kind of subject given that you're <laughs> I, I suppose you remember doing chemistry at one point you see chemistry you're kind of flicking through it and you know that you know a lot of the stuff in it by the time you're looking through the revision guide mm-hmm. but very occasionally you're like oh i didn't know that i'm going to highlight it or i'm going to write that the, the, write that down so i think that's kind of how i approach a non-fiction book um if it's in a field that i've already thought about a little bit yeah yeah i think i, I like the idea of like highlighting or like trying to produce something that makes your takeaways a bit more concrete like making notes and things actually I've started making notes about like all the non-fiction stuff I'm reading um, and I think that I think that is useful I think like trying to produce is good um, but I, I want to push back against that very slightly by saying that like I think a lot of the value in this kind of stuff is just how it shapes your thinking. And like you might, you know, I've read a ton of stuff on the internet over the past few years. I don't remember directly almost any of it, but it's undoubtedly like shaped my thinking in lots of different ways that are sort of invisible and hard to pin down. So I think there there probably is value even outside of the highlights or the notes that you explicitly take. Oh, 100%. I completely agree. For example, I wouldn't want to just read a summary of highlights. So Blinkist is quite a good service for summarizing books. But I very much think that if you enjoy the summary on Blinkist, then you should read the actual book because there is so much context around it that yeah you could see someone's highlights but you just wouldn't take away the like the the wider message that someone who has highlighted it themselves and has read the book would take away so i'm fully on board with the idea that a book is worth more than just its highlights okay yeah that makes sense uh one one thing that kind of helped i mean i'm bad at reading books now but about a year ago i was even worse um and then i read a uh, a book from the 1970s called how to read a book um Ooh, it's, it's like a i don't know one of these like classic things that that go around in certain internet circles um and that that was really good because it kind of that that was actually really nice because it was full of new insights that i hadn't heard before and like a whole new way of thinking about reading books and it sort of gave me the permission to like not finish books and to skim and to skip um and you know it's sort of advice that you know when you pick up a, a book for the first time your first go- you know it, I, I can't remember the exact details of it but it, it, it broke it down really well where like you should first sort of you know look at the contents page and then you know sort of flick through see like what the starts of the chapters are like to try and get an idea of the 
style, like, you know, what style of arguments is this person going to be making and so on. And try and get like a big picture overview of like the book first before you go in and actually like read it. And like, it's perfectly fine if you don't read the book page, you know, cover to cover one page at a time. It's perfectly fine to skip over things that you don't think are going to be interesting or useful um, and to skim and so on. Uh, whereas before I kind of read that, I kind of, I had this model of, of reading as like, oh no, you have to like read cover to cover every single word, every single page. Um, otherwise you haven't technically read the book or something. Um, so that that was nice. And I think that's helped me. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And that's where a lot of people I've, in, in conversations I've had stumble when it comes to reading is that the pressure, the internal expectation is there that you have to finish the book and that you have to read every word and every page, even if it's boring. So people are like, oh, you know, I've been stuck on this same page of Sapiens for the last two months and I just can't seem to bring myself to read it. So like, okay, well, just skip the page then. Like, it's not really going to make that big a deal, uh, that big a difference. So I think, yeah, when you realize that you don't have to finish a book and that you can skip stuff, that 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 alone is life-changing. And that would therefore be a life-changing insight from that book. Um, yeah, that was, that was a good book with insights. How do you know how much of a chance to give a book before you sort of give up or decide to skip lots of it? Because I'll often have a book and I'll be, you know, I wouldn't be super engaged in the first like five pages, maybe the first 10 pages or whatever. Um, and there's obviously, you know, a point after which, you know, you should probably just give up because this book doesn't resonate with you or you're not that interested in it or whatever. But how, how do you judge what a reasonable point to give up on is? For example, like when starting a new TV series or starting like a new anime or something everyone knows like with anime you know usually you have to get through like the first 10 episodes before it's going to get good before you start to understand things um and so that was kind of my model going into like watching naruto and watching bleach where i end up yeah watching 600 episodes of these things and like the, yeah the first 10 episodes are a bit of a slog uh and that's fine what's what's your heuristic when it comes to books so my heuristic is that i will give it about 10 15 minutes of flicking through it on kindle with very big font so i don't know what that actually translates to in in real life number of pages but i'm very much so like with the Simon Simon book, I was just flicking through and I would look at a page for about three seconds, scan the contents and move on. Three seconds, scan the contents, move on. And I quite like reading with very big font on Kindle, which means there's only maybe two paragraphs or, or actually possibly even just one paragraph on a page at any given time, which means I can just glance at it and know vaguely what the gist is. This is not like speed reading or anything. It's just like speed scanning where I think, is there like a novel insight coming up? And if there, if there isn't for about 15 minutes, I will just shelve the book metaphorically, put it on my nightstand, go to bed and then the following day at night again when i'm reading i just have a flick through it again to see if anything resonates with me and at that point i'm like okay no screw it i'll you know visit this book another time because what i think is that there are so many really 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 good books that will immediately resonate with you that there's no point trying to slog through to get through like you know to the second half where it will suddenly start resonating with you like there is no shortage of enthralling reads so you might as well just go for those and you know what people say um sometimes you read a book at the wrong time and sometimes you read a book at the right time like some people say that a book called the magic of thinking big completely changed their life have you read it nope. okay it's a good book you should read it um i doubt it would probably change your life but i think someone younger than you someone kind of maybe just just getting started in the world of entrepreneurship and stuff it probably would change their life so it kind of depends on what time you read a book and I fully accept this when I'm reading a book that perhaps this is not for me at this time. Can I highlight anything interesting? No. Okay, let's move on. Let's. I'm now reading uh, Phil Knight's autobi autobiography. Who's Phil Knight? Uh, the founder of Nike. Shoe Dog. Shoe Dog? What the hell is Shoe Dog? His name is Phil Knight, isn't it? The guy who founded Nike. I have it's, no it's, idea. It's like one of the most famous autobiographies in the world. I'm What's right. Shoe Dog? Oh, it's called the book's called it's a book Shoe called Shoe Dog. Oh, yeah. okay, right. right, right. Um, yeah, it's one of the, it's one of the most commonly recommended autobiographies, like that plus Steve Jobs plus I think Elon Musk. People always recommend. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, and that's really good. It's it's very interesting so far. It's it's 
it's written in an engaging fashion so that from from the first page, I was like, oh, this is interesting. He's, he's writing it in a good way. It wasn't an academic sort of difficult to get through book. Equally with Bad Blood by John Carreyou, I think his name is. Um, yeah, it was enthralling from the first page. And the fact that these sorts of books exist means that means that you shouldn't have to slog through, I don't know, Lord of the Flies if you're not finding it interesting. Yeah, sure. So I've actually tried reading Bad Blood, except I listened to the audiobook version. And so maybe a few weeks ago on my like, when I was riding my bike, I'd be listening to Bad Blood. And it was good, but I got bored of it. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't that good. And then I've tried to listen to, you know, there's these like Brandon Sanderson books that you go on about, yeah. uh, you know, some kind of fantasy fiction or something. And I tried listening to an audiobook version of those quite a few months ago now. And again, I just couldn't get into it. And then I tried listening to an audiobook version of a book called Debt, about like the history of debt oh, God. Uh, over the past 5,000 years, which is apparently an amazing book. And it's like a topic I'm super interested in, but I couldn't get into it. Okay. So I think where you're going wrong is that you're A, having too high an expectation of audiobooks. And secondly, you're listening to audiobooks of the wrong things. So for example, I probably wouldn't want to listen to an audiobook of Sapiens because it's a massive book. And I know that, I, I just know that when reading it, I'm going to end up sk skimming a lot of the sections, which you can't really do with an audiobook. Uh. Equally, the experience of listening to an audiobook is very different to the experience of watching a TV show where, for, so for example, the Brandon Sanderson books, the Stormlight Archive has about a total runtime of 150 hours. And that could be, you know, if that were turned into, I don't know, a TV show, it would end up being like five seasons, maybe 50 hours in total. If that would turn into a film, it would, it would maybe be a trilogy that spans like eight hours in total. So you'd be a lot more, there's the, uh, the process of reading an audiobook is so much slower than the process of watching a TV show or a film, which is, I guess, what you're used to. And you just have to kind of take that and you have to think that, okay, yeah, cool. There's going to, there's going to be long swaths of time where I'm just listening to this guy talking about then Vin decided to go down to the shop then Kaladin came along and he pushed on the metal and then this happened and and you know you, you, you're going to be semi-switched off a lot of the time but the, the, the nice thing about the audiobook is that it just keeps going and eventually you get to a point where like oh my god and you, ha you have to sit down because you physically can't <laughs> can't be walking while this like <laughs> absolutely mental stuff is going down you have tears in your eyes and you're like oh my god what's going to happen to Dalinar and that's what you go with an audiobook but you have to get through the long uh, the long long pages so I think it's about managing your expectations when it comes to audiobooks and you shouldn't necessarily start with something like the way of kings which is a 60 hour audiobook instead i'd recommend you start with stardust by neil gaiman you've seen the film long time ago yeah so you know the vague plot of the film and you're a sucker for like romance stuff and it. it's just nice and neil gaiman has an incredible voice when he's narrating so i'd recommend listening to stardust okay that's interesting the other problem i found with audiobooks was that i would like you know i'd zone out when it's not engaging and then when i zone back in i have no idea what's going on like what do you, do you pay are you always paying attention in the audiobooks you listen to no i mean there's going to be longer like sort of a whole page of description where there's doing some world building or something i'm like okay cool i'm gonna continue doing what i'm doing in the house and i sort of have half an ear on listening to what's going on but i but i but it's kind of like skimming through the descriptive bits of a book like you know it's not going to be that amazingly relevant so it doesn't really matter that much and i think going back to reading non-fiction books in particular there is some kind of x factor of insight that is really that, that you know people say as as you said that all these successful people that you listen to podcast interviews with will always be like yeah I've, I've i read all the time reading is the secret to my success and i would definitely feel the same for myself like i don't think any of my ideas are original at all i'm just repurposing things that i've come across or stumbled across in books 
Um, and books more so than TV shows, YouTube videos, blog posts, podcasts, and tweets. Because books are the culmination of five years of research into a very nice, coherent narrative where the ideas are explained in a nice way. They've got the space to expand on the context. And I think kind of like with long form podcasts, a lot of the value that you get just comes from the ideas that get sparked while you're listening to someone else's long form conversation. Rather than, for example, if you condensed this this podcast or any other podcast that's actually popular into a list of highlights. So there is something about reading a book that gives you this whole context. And I think given that you are someone who wants, wants to be successful, it it does it does definitely make sense as you said right at the start to start reading because it's it's kind of like it's kind of like meditation like everyone successful seems to have some kind of meditation practice just like everyone successful seems to have some kind of sort of they read all the time practice yeah yeah for sure i definitely need to start reading one thing that i'm quite interested in trying to get into is reading old niche stuff that isn't really mainstream right now because that's like the only way you're going to kind of have your own semi novel ideas because like i think if i sort of read all these books that you've recommended all the books that are like really mainstream really popular right now there's no, i'm not going to be like yeah my, my thinking isn't going to become differentiated and i think my goal really my goal with like reading and stuff is to really differentiate my thinking um to get some kind of novelty or some kind of uniqueness in there because i think that's where the value is rather than being well versed in exactly the same things that everyone else is well versed in so i, th I think that's a really good point so i think that's a really good point and that's a direction that i'm trying to head with myself but i would suggest that given that you have never read anything before you don't really know what mainstream books are written like and given that you want to perhaps be some kind of thought leader in the future it would make sense for you to become to become reasonably well versed in what for example a book like the four hour work week how that's written what the style of that is then compare that to a book like written by Derek Sivers then compare that to a book you know James Clear's Atomic Habits has recently done well Ramit Sethi's I Will Teach You To Be Rich these are all very very mainstream books that everyone in the in a certain broad section of tech intersection or entrepreneurship probably not intersection um, is, is is reading and listening to um, but yeah I agree you aren't going to gain any new insights by reading those but you probably should read those anyway such that when you start reading less mainstream stuff you can then have the lens of understanding what the current state of the sort of tech nonfiction world is to then apply your ideas in either a novel way or you know just repurposing something from tim ferris and adding your unique twist to it from some niche paper that you read yeah that sounds really good actually um yeah i feel like i it, it seems like a good idea to just kind of study the current state of books a little bit um get the lay of the land before trying to get too weird yeah and you know uh patrick is it patrick hollison who has like a, a on his on his personal website he's got a ton of book reviews from books that he's read yeah i think he does that a few other people do that yeah too. i mean so that's a really good thing to do i, st I started doing that last year i think um i got inspired by the derek sivers interview with tim ferris that i listened to in 2016 and what derek sivers does is that every time he reads a book he makes a text file and just writes some notes in it and then puts it on his website so this becomes then an ever-expanding trove of knowledge and given that a personal website is pretty much the only thing in a quote personal brand that stands the test of time like it's not quite like a facebook page or a youtube channel where you're at the mercy of the algorithms and stuff you might as well work on you know planting planting the tree of your personal website and building that up into a trove of knowledge over time such that 10 20 years from now people will look at your website and think oh sick this guy's been writing book reviews for the last 20 years that's awesome and that becomes a big kind of selling point of the value that you add to the world so that's one direction that i'm hoping to head down yeah i think book reviews are great i think after i read the courage to be disliked so i wrote a cheeky book review on the site um so one of our friends mac has just rocked up uh tame and mac are going to romania later today so i'm going to drive him to the airport but mac has some insights about this whole reading thing um and you mentioned that you've got a particular problem that you're that you're dealing with yeah so one that note I find often uh, in days like today when I'm about to go on holiday I typically bring a book with me and when I go away I'll start reading 
and often get really engrossed in that book and kind of get through it really quickly um, and race to the end. And then as soon as I put the book down or I come back from holiday, I find it very difficult to to kind of think of reading as a thing I can continue doing. It sort of disappears as an option for one of the activities that I can do. And I kind of put it to the back of my mind until maybe two months later, I kind of happen upon another book. Or maybe I go on holiday again and I kind of get wrapped up into another book. But in those kind of in-between times, it's very hard to get back into the process. Okay, yeah, I totally, I totally get where you're coming from. I think that's the case for a lot of people whereby reading is like something that you only really do when you're on holiday or if you've got like a really long flight coming up. Whereas the way that I think about reading is that it's the default thing that I just do while I'm in bed. So I put, I put my phone across the room from me, set my alarm for half past six, you know, the cheeky Ed, Ed Sheeran and Taylor Swift a duet song that wakes me up every morning. It's a good, a good start to the morning. But then the only thing I have next to me within sort of arm's reach is my Kindle. And therefore when I'm lying in bed, I just think, you know, I'm just, my default thing is to go to bed, read my Kindle for a bit until my eyes start to feel tired and then put it down, ask Alexa to turn the lights off and then, and then I'm asleep. So I think in that sense, like even, even when I do finish a book, either it comes at right at the end where I'm going to fall asleep anyway, where I'm like, great. Or immediately I hop onto the Kindle store or onto Goodreads and just buy another one on Amazon and just like, don't even think about it. Because as you said, like it's difficult to keep the momentum going unless you have it as like a daily practice. Um, I don't know how much, like, how, how, how much do you read regularly when you're not on holiday? So I think in terms of how much I read when I'm not on holiday, I generally don't read that much at all unless it's kind of finishing off something that I didn't quite get to finish on holiday. I think that whole point about kind of reading as part of a routine or kind of before you fall asleep and you go to bed is really interesting because I find that though I don't usually read in bed, I do listen to podcasts, which is a kind of, I guess, a similar alternative to that. So I'll, I'll kind of put my phone across the room and like on, on Google Home or whatever, have a podcast playing. So kind of the same thing, but I guess not quite the same as reading. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I suppose everyone like uh, some podcasts reading audiobooks they all vaguely sort of fit into that same general category of you know imbibing information into your brain in in in, in some capacity or another although perhaps it would be an, in, an interesting podcast episode to think about why most people would think that tv shows and watching films don't quite fit into that productive category in inverted commas but yeah uh yeah that, that actually all sounds pretty good I've, I've been trying to make it more of a habit just to get me to actually read stuff and so now if i'm on the train going to london or something then i'll kind of read my kindle on the train rather than listening to a podcast or like I can listen to a podcast when I'm walking or cycling for example and I can't read so I try and like read sort of productive kind of useful non-fiction-y stuff when I'm like during the day and then in bed I'm like you're doing I'm trying to get in the habit of not having my phone with me and then like reading my Kindle until I fall asleep and like I find that in bed I'm just not in the mood to read any like business books or tech books or anything like useful in inverted commas I'm more interested in like um yeah, just like being connected to another human being in some way. Well, um, so you go on Messenger on your phone or? Oh, no, no, no. So I like, I just read different kind of books. I'm reading a book called The the Calculus of Friendship, which is by a mathematician called Stephen Strogatz. Uh, he's actually sick. And th this is like a series of letters between like him and I don't know, some professor of his. And, and you kind of sort of watch how their relationship develops from like, you know, just talking about maths to like talking about maths with little life updates. And then I think the, gen the general idea is that their correspondence starts off as like a maths thing um, but then it's actually the little life updates that they tell each other over this period of many decades that turns into like a really meaningful sort of friendship so I'm more interested in like yeah in bed I, I don't want to be thinking about like 
work in inverted commas stuff. I just want to like be taken on a journey. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And actually quite a lot of people, so to Tim Ferriss, for example, only reads fiction in bed as like his his like nighttime routine, daily practice thing. Um, most of what I read in bed tends to be fiction, tends to be fantasy these days. So I can, I can, I can get on board with uh, not wanting to read, read business books in bed thing. That's entirely fair enough. Nice. I think we should probably wrap it up there. So it seems like my to-dos now are when it comes to fiction, I should read some cheap thrills in yep. young adult fiction. Absolutely. Start with the Harry Potter series, please. So I should, I've read the final two Harry Potter books. I need to read the rest and then try and wean off of those onto like real useful, meaningful fiction afterwards. Meaningful fiction. Okay. That's harsh. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to nonfiction, my I need to have lower expectations, read with the intent to find like one or two really good highlights that will stick with me and like skim books before reading them to make sure that they're roughly what I'm interested in. Yeah. And also read with the intent to, with the intent that you're going to make a book review about of this book. Yeah. Because I, that gives you a lens to, yeah. I guess that forces you to like pay attention and like in your head, organize the information a bit more. You yes. Know? Um, and when it comes to audiobooks, you're going to download Stardust by Neil Gaiman and you're going to listen to that. And, okay. and after that, you should do The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. All right. To really get you into the whole like 50 hour long audiobook vibe. We'll start with Stardust and see how it goes. Okay, these are pretty good to do's. Um, so yeah, thanks for listening. If you've listened this thus far to this now 45 minute long conversation about reading. Uh, if you've gotten to this point in the podcast and you have any any inside stuff for us, any uh, we'd, we'd, we'd love to hear your take on reading. Do you, str do you struggle with reading? What's your reading practice? Have you had any books that have changed your life? Send us an email at hi at notoverthinking.com and we'll be sure to read it and reply. We do reply to everything, don't we? Yeah, we do. Uh, yeah, I need to get through some uh, not overthinking emails today and this weekend. Uh, for the final segment, I actually have an insight of the week that I'd like to get your thoughts on and Max thoughts on. Oh, amazing. What is it? Um, I noticed I noticed in the past week on two different podcasts I was listening to that there's, there's a point when I get like super engaged and basically on the edge of my seat. And that's when someone is talking about how they think others perceive their work. And so there's this uh, recent Tim Ferriss podcast episode with this guy called Ramit Sethi or whatever. Um, and this Ramit guy has written a book called I Will Teach You To Be Rich. Um, and, it, and right at the start of the podcast, this guy says to Tim Ferriss, look, Tim, we, we've both written books that sound like scams, right? <laughs> um, but they're not or, or something like that. And, and he's like showing sort of self-awareness or, or like, yeah, he, he's telling you how he thinks others perceive, perceive his work. Um, and there was another podcast I was listening to uh, with Venkatesh Rao, who's like my favorite blogger, where he talks about how some people might view, and I think this is a quote, direct quote, uh, his blog as up its own backside intellectual bullshit um and it was just really nice to hear how he think yeah almost how he's worried other people will see his work um and that that was just super engaging i love it when people do that um i'm not i think it's like a rare moment of true honesty because normally when you're experiencing someone who creates stuff or whatever um you're not experiencing it through this like meta lens you're you're just experiencing it the, the work itself and you you kind of have your own feelings of like oh actually this guy's a bit of pretentious like up, up his own backside a bs guy or whatever uh, so it, it's cool to hear that from the horse's mouth um do you guys have any instances of like hearing this level of candid meta analysis from people who you like actually ali with, with your youtube stuff what would how would you be concerned about coming you know what, what's your equivalent thing for like why, why might someone not like your youtube channel if i were viewing my youtube channel through the meta lens i would say i would think that it's just this random kid who thinks that because he's a doctor he is able to offer all these various insights and seems to offer opinions on things that he's not qualified to comment on um why why do i care what a doctor has to say about an ipad um and the fact that he mentions the fact that he's a doctor at cambridge at the start of every video i mean come on mate like why are you doing that what's the point we all, we all get it you're a doctor at cambridge um i 
think I suspect that is a, potentially one lens that people can view the YouTube channel through. Actually, on a on a semi related note, I found that when I'm with my friends, there's a like if I'm, for example, editing a video, and I always start a video with, "Hey guys, welcome back to the channel. If you're new here, my name is Ali. I'm a junior doctor working." I always start off with that line. But one thing I like to do is while I'm editing a video, I'd sort of uh, parody myself. I'd be like, "Hey guys, welcome back." Oh, go away. <laughs> and then everyone would laugh because <laughs> they would probably have had that thought at some point. Like, oh, go away. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's a sort of sort of meta thing. But I also uh, I also completely agree. Like I was I was hooked when Ramit Sethi said that his book title is a scam. I was like, yeah, it actually yeah. is. <laughs> I agree. Well is. I'm glad you said it, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So that's my insight of the week. Uh, this has actually been a really useful episode for me. Uh, maybe it was useful for other people. I'm going to start reading more. Hopefully, great. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next week. Have a great week.